Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today, we are lucky enough to have Randall Tucker. Randall and I go back for years. He is MasterCard's chief inclusion officer. He's been doing that for about three years now. And uh, before then, he was with Darden. And before then, he was with Starwood. uh, uh, And he's been focused on inclusiveness, on uh, diversity work, uh, on executive leadership and helping executive leaders and leaders throughout the companies that he's always worked with to show up more effectively, more powerfully in a diverse and inclusive world. And so I'm, and, and, and Randall and I, you know, full disclosure, go back. He was at the leadership intensive. We go back many, many years. We've worked together. He is one of the best people you're ever going to meet. So I'm, I'm so excited to be able to share a little bit of him with you today on the podcast. Randall. Oh, oh Peter. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that. So thank, <laughs> thanks for that great intro. And I'm, I'm really happy to be here. It's so, it's my pleasure. It's so, I'm so excited to have you. So why don't you share with people a little bit about your background, like how you got started, how you got to where you are today. Right. So, you know, Growing up, there isn't a degree at the time in the dark ages for someone that's leading inclusion and diversity. So I I came out of the hotel and restaurant industry, quite honestly, um, and I have a a background in hotel tourism management and in marketing. And my first role was with Marriott in a sales role. Um, And then I was in some project management as well as marketing roles. And I had an opportunity. evolved uh, based on some career trajectory stuff to work for Starwood Hotels, which was a startup company. And they needed someone to help out with their diversity and inclusion efforts. And they thought that I was that person that could do that. I actually had gone in for a role for a director of Six Sigma, and I left with an inclusion and diversity role. I had no idea that that would be my path in life, but I um, have picked up a craft that I've started to to love over the many years that I've been doing this work. It's almost 20 years. So you, you, you studied to go into hotel management and marketing. I did. And, and then you ended up in diversity inclusion. Um, right. I'm, I'm curious about the kind of, like, I'm actually really curious about this moment in your career right. where you shifted over and, you know, you've got all of this education that's driven you, yeah. you know, to this broader role within marketing and, right. and hotel management, and you're right where you want to be. You're in a hotel group, a right. large hotel group. You're successful, right. et cetera. Right. And, then, and then you pivot. And I'm curious about like how you got up to speed in a way that allowed you to be effective and to contribute, like how you made the pivot. Yeah, so the pivot was made easy for me. I was in my early 20s, 9-11 hit. I had just moved to North Jersey, a place called Park Ridge, New Jersey. Uh, selling Indian and Jewish weddings. And so that was my first diversity job, quite oh honestly. I had, I, I'm neither Indian nor am I Jewish, and I had to like learn really quickly how to pull events off. And so I, I always say that's my first inclusion and diversity job. Um, but 
I didn't at one point, you know, when when you're when 9-11 hit, it, it kind of caused a lot of things to go on in my career where I did not want to go to funeral homes and churches drumming up businesses for uh, for the hotel. And so I, I said, you know, I knew that Starwood was looking for folks to, to work for them. I, I did not know that I would have a inclusion and diversity job that, you know, what sparks me to stay in it at, at the first part of it is I needed a job. Um, but at this, but I mean, that's the realistic piece if you're early, in your early twenties and that's right. you just the one to keep the lights on. But there was a pivotal moment that happened for me probably about six or seven years into my job. It was on a Friday afternoon. The CEO gives you a call. You think you're going to get fired. It's a, it's a summer Friday, which I should have been out of there by one o'clock. It's like four o'clock and he's still calling. Um, and he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to build Starwood's global inclusion and diversity strategy. Not My boss was not given that. My boss's boss was not given that, but they said, I think that you have the chops in order to do something that's pretty amazing in the organization. It's the first that's ever happened because before um, the strategy for inclusion and diversity was the, the fluff stuff or um, the stuff that was very facade. So making sure you have the sponsorships, you're going to the right dinners, that you're doing the right surveys. But when they looked across the leadership table, um, they, they said that, you know, this work could be more impactful and it could be more relevant. And I want you to blow it up. I want you to make it global and I want you to make it relevant. And then in that moment, that's when I fell in love with my job because I felt like I was really contributing as a business leader and not just as the activities guy, but then was able to build stuff because I love building stuff, um, but to actually drive change and relevance to this work in the, in the corporation. Now, I, I think it's kind of brave organizationally to, to go down a couple of levels from the executive leadership team and say, we want you right. to run our diversity inclusion. Right. And you could argue, well, they're choosing someone because they don't think you're going to make, you know, they don't think you're going to change right. anything, right? Because you're right. whatever, right. you're young. You know, right. Right. But I, I know anyone who knows you, I mean, I could tell you from my own experience, uh, from the leadership intensive, that what I saw you do a number of times, and I can think of one very, very particular, I don't want to violate anyone's confidentiality, <laughs> but there was someone who was doing something, and you stood up, you know, in amongst all of these people who were very, very senior yeah. leaders at the leadership intensive, and, right. and you did this pivotal thing that I still remember, where you, right. said, where you called them to task, and you said, hold on, you're talking to me like... You know, you're lecturing me and I don't want to. And, right. and you're and you right. and, and and then and it was only after you said that, that then I was able to say, are other people feeling this way? And everybody raised their hand. So you right. were the leader that stepped up and said, something's right. going on here that that I don't like. And I'm going to and I'm going to stand up and say something. So they're not. So this is what I know about you, which means right. that, you know, if they're putting you in that role, they're not putting you in that role to be someone who's quiet. Uh, I, I think like that's at yeah. least my experience of you. So I'm sort of curious about, you know, how how you manage to engage executive leadership in things that they weren't prepared to lead themselves because there was no one there that they could put in the role that you're this right. young guy who they're putting in there in order to right. have them lead. 
and and how you know you don't you're not worried about speaking up and yet you don't want to lose them right because right. you need them it's, to lead it and i'm curious well, about how you manage that it's uh, well first of all i think in that moment you were all challenged you were challenges and your team was cha- were challenging us to be courageous leaders and i think having the on the heels of that conversation, it gives you the energy <laughs> to actually show up in a different way. I think my personality naturally gravitates towards that because I, I've tried not to be afraid in many situations and some situations I should be afraid of and, and I'm not. Um, <laughs> but I think that's probably a trait that they saw, um, knowing or not knowing as young as I was in my career. Here's the thing. I think when you build inclusion and diversity strategy, you have to have that person that has that fire in them that will stand up to the challenge when things get a little bit hairy or things get ambiguous or things seem a little bit vague. Um, But the other piece is that I learned very early in my career by uh, one of my mentors is you have to bring leaders along, um, giving the data to the leaders for them to in order to make an informed decision. So there's this piece around having the right variables in place for the leaders to digest information. So as I build a global strategy, and I learned this through the trial and area period of building um, strategy at Starwood, is that you have to kind of reach out to different variables. You have to talk to your senior leadership team. You have to talk to the board of directors. You have to talk and understand, you know, what representation data looks like in your organization, as well as um, employee um, engagement survey data. All of these things tell us a story, and even industry trend data tell you a story. But the the piece that you have to do as a leader is put it all together and create a narrative for your leaders. And so without that narrative, it's kind of like Randall just saying you should have more black people and more women and more gay people. But no, you have to take a step back. It's not about me and what I think. It's about what the data is showing, putting that in front of leaders and then saying, here's where I think you should go. But it's always up to you to do that. And the courageous leadership comes in is when you're giving leaders the the pluses as well as the areas of opportunity if they don't choose what you're recommending that they do. Because there might be some things that are out there that are things that are potholes for the organization. And you have to step up and say, what I'm seeing, the tea leaves are showing me that X, Y, and Z are going to happen. But first, it starts with the data. And I think if you start with the data, leaders see the relevancy in your work because it's not just coming from an assumption place. How do you get leaders to open up with you and be honest with you? And, you know, like, because you're black, right? And yeah. Oh, I, I think so. Right. I <laughs> and, and I don't know if I could say anything else about you that you want to share, but because, you know, I don't want to. But yeah, I'm black and I'm gay and I'm from the South and I have a twang in my accent. If I sleepy, I have all that. Yes. Yeah, so so I, I know a lot of leaders that might start to talk to you and they might be afraid, like, I don't exactly know what to say. Say, or right. I don't want to say the wrong right. thing, or I want to, and 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 how do you navigate the? First of all, do you find that happens? I'm sure it happens yeah. sometimes. And how do you yeah. navigate the discomfort of that? And how do you put people? You know, I mean, really, it's not your job to put them at ease. And if you want to be effective, you kind of have to also, right? So that you can have real conversations with them. Right. So how do you approach that? Well, I mean, I think to step back, I absolutely love when I'm in a leader's office and they close the door and they're like, Randall, I want to talk to you about something. That is like the pinnacle of like my existence in an organization. I love that. By the way, as a coach, 
when I'm starting to have a conversation with someone and then they get up and close the door. I love that moment also. It's because like you feel like you're in. Yeah, you now like we're going to have a real conversation. Yeah. But here's the thing. I think people feel like I they they feel comfortable around me is because I don't have an agenda. My agenda is for the betterment of that organization and that they know that I'm in the corner of the leadership team in the organization. I wouldn't do anything or say anything that would um, uh, give pause to their brand or have a negative brand for that person. And it's, it's coming from a place of um, you building a relationship with that person. I mean, of course, you don't just shut the door like in your first meeting, but you shut the door after you built a relationship and that person has a, a trust and a comfort with you. Because in any of these roles, in an inclusion role, that's the, that's the key component to an inclusion leader being really successful is how much a executive or a CEO or a COO will let the person in. And until that happens, you're not going to be able to get all the nuances of how to really drive strategy within the organization. So um, it's, it's you, in order to have a friend, you need to be a friend. In order to have a positive relationship with someone, you have to show that you're willing to like give of yourself a little bit so they can give something back. And it's a give and take. And I think that's really important. You know, and I, I also know from my work with you that you come with a very business focused mindset, right? So it's not, it's not um, all about diversity inclusion. It's about achieving business objectives. And then what is the role that, that diversity and inclusion fits into the, you know, the, the goal or the objective of the organization, which is, you know, around products or services or revenue. And and that's my first question. I mean, because typically when you, (laughs) um, I, I've learned that the words diversity or inclusion will either get you two kind of reactions, either the glazed over look of I didn't do something. Uh, it's not me. Uh, I'm, I'm diverse and my team is diverse. <laughs> or, um, you know, it, it, it's one of the, you know. So it's defensive. Do, People will immediately do, go to defensive. No, no, I, I didn't do it or they rattle off the diversity of their team. So I right. found that very fascinating. And okay. so. Uh, I try to diffuse that, but it's not even diffusing. It's just part of the process. I I first want, as a consultant, I come from like an inclusion leader. I act as a consultant. I first come in and try to understand what is that business leader's goals? What are their objectives for their company? And I don't even say the words diversity and inclusion in the first 10 minutes or so, because I, I literally want to understand what their strategy is. And then I ask a set of questions that will lead them um, to, around a diversity um, topic that they don't even know that they're having. So I will ask the question around, well, do you have the staff you need with the perspectives that you need in order to make sure that your goals are accomplished? Um, X, Y, and Z. So I kind of lead them down a path. And at the end of it, it's like, they were like, well, when are we going to talk about the diversity stuff? We talked about the diversity stuff the entire time. Just because you don't say diversity and inclusion doesn't mean that you're not talking about it. And so some sometimes I get out of those conversations, they, they would be like, oh, that was an easy conversation. But I got so much out of it is because the stigma when you say those two words, people tense up. And when you take that away, they're, they're just willing to share so much, which is very helpful in my strategy development process. You know, I, I've learned from you around this. And I, I also like the, I'm, I'm sort of curious what levers you use to support diversity, and inclusion in organization. I know for myself 
Like I'm obviously a white male. I'm a straight white male. Right. And, and, and I see myself as liberal. I see myself as progressive. I see myself as advocating for issues around diversity and inclusion. It's been important to me. And yet I have really come to see how much I miss, like how, how like the profound, the profundity of my blind spots. And, and I think there's, you know, it's, it's really underscored for me how important it is to actually have a diverse group of people making decisions like that. It's like literally just having more black people and women and gay people and others on the team changes the dialogue because based on like who you are, that changes often where you come from. And however expansively you think you think you're not thinking in the same way as other people. And this is my discovery over the past, you know, six months, let's say. And I'm just curious whether that resonates with you and whether, you know, well, like yeah. that's part of the goal that it, you have in the organization. It, it, it does. The whole business case for inclusion and diversity is um, one that um, the best and brightest talent does not come in one wrapping. And so they come in many different shapes and sizes and colors and backgrounds. And then two, it's the right thing to do from an organizational perspective because it's just part of many organizations' value system. But the deeper piece is the so what of it all. The so what is that you need diverse perspectives in order to problem solve as well as to innovate. I mean, that's what companies do. They're here for uh, uh, increased revenue and shareholder value. And so that diversity will help support what that looks like. I mean, it's, it's almost like you you asking someone that has never driven a car to teach you to drive a car. You have to have the person's perspective that has actually been in a car and turned the ignition on. Um, or it's, it's from a business perspective, that's kind of like a very simple one. But from a business perspective, how are you going to go into to build relationships and, and customers with um, in undertapped markets in certain parts of the world when you don't have anyone internally that understands the language, understands the cultural nuance and all of those pieces or anything else that you need perspective on. Like I'm on a call tomorrow <laughs> that you, before the prep, you were kind of reading my script, which was hysterical, <laughs> is about our marketing effort. And so how do we show up as a brand of choice in all communities? Because if we don't, there's money being left on the table. And so you need the perspective of having a brand voice that speaks to everyone. And only way you're going to get that brand voice is having perspectives of people that will tell you what will resonate and be impactful in that community. So, of course, I mean, it seems pretty simple, but it's such a hard concept sometimes. But I think we can I I think we all kind of get many different perspectives equal um, greater learning as well as greater insight into understanding how to solve problems and innovate. I I read an article years and years ago, decades ago, by Chris Argyris, who was a a, a wonderful writer and and professor. And he wrote this article probably in the 70s or 80s about communication departments. And the point of his article, and I still remember it, is communication departments block communication. And the reason is because as soon as you create a communication department, then all sorts of leaders 
who beforehand were responsible for communicating, now abdicated right. that role to the communications department. So now right. I don't need to communicate anymore because that's the job of the communications department. And I'm right. curious how you don't become the uh, answer to diversity and inclusion because, oh, yo, yeah. that's okay, yeah. Randall's doing it. No, 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 because that's, how, that's the reason why I intentionally have a, a very small team. Because inclusion and diversity needs to live and breathe in everyone's job within the organization. And so I don't believe in having, you know, uh, a diversity department directly focused on recruiting or the the um, or the, the the black people marketing campaign or, you know, the Asian people group around sales and marketing. No, that's not that's not how that goes. I think that what you do is we teach people how to fish in the organization mm -hmm. so they can do it on their own. That's the whole point. It's, it's how, how I've been able to teach people to fish and to set the systems up in the organization where inclusion and diversity is embedded as opposed to if anything happened to my team or we got cut or, or what have you, that inclusion and diversity will still go on because the mindset has been uh, woven into the nature of the organization. I love that and I believe in it. And, and here's my question related to it. You know, uh, uh, somebody just pitched someone to come on the podcast. And, and at this point, I, I, I'm not bringing them on yet. But someone just pitched me and they said, look, this guy's got 10,000 people reporting to him. And, right. and it's like, that's like shorthand for like, this is a serious person. And actually, he seems like a delightful guy. I'm just, it's not fitting right. what I need right now. But it's, so it's not dinging him at all. But right. my question is like, like everything you're saying is a hundred percent right on. Like that's how I believe, I agree with you. It's how I believe diversity inclusion should be done. And from the outside, you could also argue they're bringing a young guy in. They're not giving him a lot of people They're You know, you gotta, I don't know how big your budget is, but, but yeah. it's, you know, like how do you, um, how do you overcome the, the, the optics in the organization and how do you step into that leadership role with, and, and get taken seriously when you may not have some of the um, trappings that people who have a lot of power in leadership roles and organizations tend to have? Well, I mean, I think it's how you brand yourself in an organization and that you have a clear strategy that you can articulate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's the key to it because I mean, there's a lot of people with many people that I don't see as good leaders, but it's almost how you're able to articulate and bring the organization along as to the, the strategic moves that you're making and why you're making it. Um, I, I always say, I mean, it, and it was part of my opportunity when I first came on board to kind of shape what my team looked like. And I actually, I, I actually maybe took one or two spaces out. And so it, it, it's more of how do you make sure, I, I don't believe in, you, you can't weave inclusion and diversity into something if it's all kind of clumped up in one area. Just like even when I when my team was, um, we were talking about global strategy, and when I first came in, everyone was sitting outside of my office. I was like, well, that's not global if I can see you. <laughs> Shouldn't you be in another part of the world? That's a great line. That's not global. It's not global if I can see you. That's a great line. It's yeah, true. I mean, it's totally like, well, true. Spread this out. Right. Well, which speaks to this other point that we touched on briefly before about data, which is I right. imagine like you still have to help the organization be accountable to values they're stating that they have. And right. 
And I imagine the data is very important to doing that because it's not you, you know, it's not you holding them accountable. It's the two of you or all of you looking at the data and letting the data hold you accountable. Is that how you approach it? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the data holding us ourselves accountable for it. And then it coupled with the prioritization in the organization. So the data is one data point. Mm-hmm. But the other piece is understanding what the overall um, business objectives and goals are within the company. And then cu- date with coupled with the data, what's going to be the priority for us moving forward. Right. And then I give a few, you know, hints and, and tips and tricks around. Here's what I see from my landscape based on all of this, where we should go. But it's it's it's, it's based on me presenting data understanding the strategy, making sure that the leadership team gives kind of a full view of that. And then we collaborate together. I mean, that's the whole point. It's it's around collaboration, mm-hmm. around what's going to be the best um, avenue forward for the organization. You've been doing this for 15 or 20 years, Randall. And I'm curious yeah. how you've seen this change. You know, certainly, you know, over the past few years, it seems to me like it's changed. But, you know, are, are people, I'm, I'm curious if leaders... Whereas before they would, uh, you know, they would listen to you. Now they're asking for you. Like, I'm, I'm just right. curious if you've right. seen if what kind of dynamic has changed organizationally, if at all. I, I think it's two different things. I think the, the evolution of inclusion diversity has changed a bit and the evolution of my value within companies because of the brand that I take with me has mm-hmm. changed. <laughs> it's, it's That's called great. Experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great. <laughs> it's called experience. So I see them as two different things. I think. Um, for the the industry or the topic itself around inclusion and diversity has gone from compliance and then we need diversity. They'll, now it's inclusion. Now it's belonging. To me, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the same thing. It's just called different stuff to me. I mean, I don't get hung up in names. I, I've never tried to get hung up in names. Um, wh- what I think is that the topic has become to the forefront because of a lot of the social things that are happening. Um, as well as employees are demanding, you know, equality as well as a level playing field, um, a little bit more nuance and a little bit more with ag- aggressiveness than they have in the past. Whereas, mm-hmm. like sometimes you you think that people, if they say it, uh, with George Floyd, people went out on the streets, people were protesting, people were something a little bit more. Um, skewed to the um, the protest side and mm-hmm. activism side. And I see that as a difference. It will propel this work. Um, w- what I also see is the, the, the um, I guess, the skill set of an inclusion and diversity leader can't just be a novice. It, it's a strategic role that mm-hmm. you can't just play the role of inclusion leader. You have mm-hmm. to actually know what you're doing. Um, even in, in, in the, the way that you know what you're doing is in the nuanced situations where you kind of have to pull and push in different directions sometimes. And a lot of, if if you're, if you're just taking the diverse person from a different part of the business and sticking them in a inclusion and diversity role and say, have at it, um, they won't know that nuance. They might look the part, but they might not know the nuance of driving strategy. And I think that this topic over the last year um, has definitely increased in value um, but also with the increase in value, the table stakes for that leader in that role, there's a lot of expectation of what juice they bring to the to the to the table. You mentioned George Floyd, and I'm curious why you think the murder of George Floyd had such an impact around the globe. 
one, it's because like someone was killed on on camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like it it tapped into our greater humanity. It, it it was one of those things that we we all knew that the stories happened, but until you actually see it, you don't. There's a piece of you that's like, okay, maybe I can put it in a corner. I can't. I don't have to think about it. But when you see it, it's there, and mm-hmm. it, that ripple effect effect went all the way to New Zealand. I mean, right. it, it, it's one of those things that you you can't take back. And so people um, were, are tired um, within the black community as well as in other communities where they see injustice, and they not only saw this as a black issue, uh, but also as an issue that we all could hold on to because it was a human issue. Right. Um, and so injustice uh, doesn't just have one color. And so, you know, we all saw ourselves um, with someone um, standing on our neck. And so the, the question is, in society, what systems are in place do we need to put in place to make sure that uh, injustice and equality is for everyone? And then what are organizations doing in order to do its part um, to, to support that effort. Um, I'm, I'm curious because I know George Floyd brings this up, and I also just know from doing diversity and inclusion work in organizations how easily, uh, and depending on which organizations, how easily it can right. become a divisive issue. How, right. how you know, like, like if as soon as I, there's one organization where there was a focus on like helping people move towards anti-racism and and as soon as that becomes an issue like where you're moving someone towards anti-racism then certain people love it and are and are supportive of it and then other people are like don't move me towards anywhere and it creates resistance and i'm curious how you how you move this work forward and 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 handle the potential divisiveness or not make it divisive well, I mean, I think it's the way you, you can't just hit the George Floyd incident and all of a sudden you you um, build a strategy around the George Floyd incident. It, it's right. more of like what's your overall strategy for inclusion and diversity? And did you start off on the right foot of making an inclusion strategy versus ex- versus an exclusionary um, strategy where you're only focused on one or two groups? So I'm going to only focus on women. I'm going to only focus on black people. And I might just focus on LGBT people in the U.S. That's not that's not inclusive strategy to my perspective. What you have to kind of do is think about what are you even talking about? So when you think about the term diversity, is your is your definition of diversity narrow or is it broad? So in all the organizations I've worked for, diversity is the broadest is possibly could be around all the things that make us both similar as well as different. There are things you can see about people and things you can't see about people. None of us are a carbon copy. And so therefore we're all diverse. That's so, the definition from our perspective. And so the goal, your goal as a leader of diverse of, of diversity and inclusion in MasterCard is to help people open their perspective to right. all of the various things that make people unique and different and that, that, that can then add value to the organization specifically. Yeah, it's, it's about like what is the missing perspective? And you have to take in consideration, depending on where you are around the world, that there are different variables around what inclusion and diversity looks like or diversity looks like. And, and you have to have that broadest definition um, because if you don't, immediately if you say, I'm only going to target these one or two groups, you 
then become a divisive and exclusionary strategy because other people that are left out of the tent are wondering like, well, what about me? <laughs> like, where right. do I show up? Where, where's my equality? Where, is anyone looking after me? And that's the last thing that um, myself as an inclusion leader or any other invo- uh, evolved inclusion leader would want to ever happen. Can you offer people who are listening, leaders who are listening, just a couple of practical things that they can do to be more inclusive? Yeah, I mean, first of all, just say hello in the hallway. <laughs> I mean, people always think it's like, you know, I have to write a dissertation and I need to marinate and I need to think about this, like, you know, what's on. I think it's the simple stuff. It's to the hard stuff. The simple stuff is like, as someone's walking down the hallway, say hello to them. Because everything that you do is either a headwind or a tailwind to someone feeling included. And so that little simple thing to how do you build your teams Am I building a diverse team that takes into consideration of all the perspectives that are needed in order for us to be successful? Um, to like, who do you assign roles to um, for, for, you know, projects that are, you know, high profile projects? Are you giving it to the same person? Or are you giving it to other people that might not be um, your spitting image? And I think that's where we kind of create idols of ourselves and we want people to fit into our idea of, you know, what leadership looks like. But giving other people a chance that you typically um, may not talk to all the time or have in common with, but just giving an opportunity. Um, the other piece is is just making sure that um, as as you're looking at who you're considering high potential in your organization or in your on your teams, you know, not going back again to the same people of the people that are in my image, but thinking about like everyone. Have I given everyone an opportunity? to really sprout their wings and, and kind of fly. And am I using a very myopic um, view of who high potential people look like? So it's, it's the saying hello to like everything that you do in between from a talent perspective, um, even when they leave, is those opportunities for you to be inclusive or not. It's just thinking about what perspective am I missing and am I giving those people the opportunity? So I feel about this, uh, about leadership uh, in, in uh, I feel like what I'm about to say is important for all leaders, no matter what, but I think it's particularly important around diversity inclusion. I want to test it with you, which is, I think if you look back on your day and you haven't done anything that has made you a little uncomfortable, like you haven't, you know, reached out in a way or made a decision in a way that, that feels like it's a little edgy for you, then you probably have more room to move like you, there's probably more things that you can continue to do to increase your diversity inclusion that that by definition if we're reaching out to people who are not like us if we're if we're you know not handing off that work to our favorite person who we always know will get it done because we have this great relationship and like that's either a really really great relationship or it's an all boys club like i don't know which exactly but but it's like if we're not branching out in that way in in a way that makes us a little uncomfortable then we're probably not expanding our own uh, comfort zones and and being as inclusive as we can be. Would you agree or would you disagree? I, I completely agree. I, I think in the other piece that I would say is to that list that I was just rattling off is that give people real feedback. I think that, that some people think that if the person doesn't look like me, I can't give them real feedback. So I get the whole conversation. Well, I'm a I'm a black guy and I, I need to give this white guy some feedback or I'm a, a white guy. I need to give this black guy a fee- some feedback or this woman a feedback. Uh, and should I be honest? Well, yeah. I mean, if you really care about 
their growth and development. You just can't leave people hanging. And, and, and they think that they're like, you know, the best things in sliced bread when there are so many opportunities that they need to kind of handle before they get to the next level. I think it's about equal playing field, equal opportunity um, in making sure that everyone is um, is treated this treated fairly and, and given honest feedback. I think that's really true and important. And I completely agree with your last statement. How do you see inclusion and diversity evolving over the next three to five years or the next decade? Like, where's this going? And I'm already seeing it. I, I see the placement of where it's going to be is not going to be in um, in HR um, functions. A lot of it originated within HR. It kind of stuck the person under the CHRO. I think that this role will, as 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 the as our society evolves and the things that are going to happen, I think it's going to be probably a role that sits either with a CEO or a CEO um, out of their offices just for the greater visibility. But I also, again, think that the the qualifications for that inclusion leader will um, be stepped up, that their, their game of who's qualified to do the role will be stepped up and it just can't be someone as a figurehead. Um, not to say that they are now, but I, I think that there are some real, you, you just don't hire someone from, you know, um, sales to be your CFO. And so, <laughs> it, well, you could, but uh, that typically isn't the trajectory. But I, I think there is going to be a qualification, uh, a elevated view of who's going to be sitting in those roles and can do it globally for these global organizations and understand strategy and how to um, get strategy um, across in an organization, just like your your operations folks and just like your sales folks to that level of detail. And what's next for you? I mean, I don't know that that's even a fair question. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, good. What's next for yeah. you? I don't know. I don't know. I kind of, you know, I got into this gig, you know, trying to be a director of Six Sigma and I, and I am an inclusion <laughs> diversity leader for MasterCard and have been doing this for 20 years. I, I do know that um, this is probably uh, one of a few more chapters that I want to make in my career before I kind of call it quits. And I don't know when quits is, uh, but whatever it is, I'm kind of open to it. And I think it's that courageous leadership that we kind of started with around, you know, when something feels right and you kind of get the the urge to do something else, you, you kind of stand in that and honor that and, and kind of go that direction. But I love what I do right now. I honestly do. I think um, there are a few other um, projects and organizations that I would love to, to work for in the future. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll take it day by day. Randall, you have had such a huge personal impact on me and professional impact on me. And, and I'm yeah. so delighted that you're out there in a leadership role and helping to move you know, our companies and our country and the world, actually, in a direction of of inclusion. So I'm, um, you know, like to me, it, it it helps me sleep a little better at night knowing that you're out there. We've, we've been talking with <laughs> Randall. People. Yeah, no, but it's, you know, it's like that. And it's that balance of like willing to be able to speak right. out and right. doing it in a way that people can hear right. so that they actually change. Is, well, I also really powerful about you as well. I think your leadership intensive was one of the pivotal moments in my, um, in my career. I mean, it's one of those things that's, it's almost like you see the, the raw product of yourself kind of seeping through, like, you know, um, the experience that I had was uh, allowing me to do is to kind of break out of that shell. It's almost like 
like little bird is kind of poking out of the egg and it, it kind of, it wants to do more, but um, it, it just needed that encouragement to kind of break out of that. And I think that's what you do. You are able to give leaders that are on the cusp of, of, you know, whatever their greatness is or whatever the next phase of their life is. And those types of experiences I've taken with me to develop what I am today as a leader. And so thank you for that. That is very generous of you. Thank you and, and kind. We have been speaking with Randall Tucker, who is MasterCard's Chief Inclusion Officer and an all-around awesome guy. Um, right. Randall, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.